The job of a school nurse is arguably one of the most challenging jobs a healthcare professional can have. I mean, y'all think about it. If you're a school nurse, then chances are you're the only medically trained person in a school or in multiple schools, and you're responsible for the health of all of these students. So my heart goes out to school nurses, especially now with coronavirus. I recently had the opportunity to join a group of school nurses and present on back-to-school time with food allergy during the age of COVID-19, and I thought that you, my listeners, would be interested in hearing what I had to say to these other health professionals, these health professionals, these school nurses who are just so critical to keeping our children safe while at school. So I hope you enjoy this episode of the podcast because this is the real life presentation um, where I go through a recent article from the Journal of Allergy and Clinical Immunology in Practice, also known as Jackie in Practice. And I will link to that article on the info blog. You can get that information in the show notes of this podcast. Or if you're listening to it on my website, then you can see it within the text of the info blog post. And I encourage you to do that because it's a wonderful article. And I'll also have on that same info blog post, my back to school resource guide. It's a one page guide that lists multiple resources online that I'm encouraging our school nurses to utilize. So you'll be able to find both of these on the info blog. And let's let's dive in. Let's go to the intro and then we'll dive right in to my discussion with these amazing, amazing school nurses. Welcome to Food Allergy and Your Kiddo with Dr. Alice Hoyt, the podcast about demystifying food allergies, diminishing allergy anxiety and taking back control. Let's navigate this challenge together with evidence-based information, scientific research, and tried and proven practices. And now, here's your host, board-certified allergist and immunologist specializing in food allergy, Dr. Alice Hoyt. Y'all, I'm really excited to be here today. I was telling my husband, um, I was like, Walter, I have a Zoom call with the Virginia nurses, and I'm so excited because I haven't talked to them in a while. Tracy, you and I have kept in touch um, and, and some of my, uh, nurse friends in Charlottesville, but, uh, I just kind of feel like I'm at home when I'm talking with y'all. And I think that's because, um, even though I, I did a lot of school-based work before I was in Charlottesville, Virginia, um, that's really where the Codana program and my real passion for equipping schools to be prepared for medical emergencies like anaphylaxis really started to block. Um, and part of that is in part because y'all have been so receptive to having um, access to programs that, that help schools be prepared for medical emergencies. So thank you very much. Let me pull open the chat because the way I like to do these Zoom meetings is that y'all can, I, I know some people aren't able to be on the video and sometimes it's hard to ask questions. But I want y'all to be able to put in questions. If I can even and sure, we can questions. monitor the chat for you. Um, if and um, you can go ahead and talk, and we'll 
Um, Joanna, is that something we can do? Well, of course it is. We can do Absolutely. It. Okay. okay. Interrupt me with questions because okay. how, how I find these sessions to be most helpful. And I think some of y'all were able to tune in to the Cleveland clinic session that I, um, that yeah. I was a panelist on. Um, and I really wanted to get to so many more questions. So right. what I have in the chat um, are two tools, resources that I think are going to be super helpful moving forward. The first one is called BTS for Back to School Favorite References. Those are some of my favorite resources. Um, can I can I open this and it and it show? Or I can share. I can take my screen. Do y'all yeah. see my screen? Right if now? you, I can stop my. Let me stop my stop my share. Say that fast. I'm stopping my share, and then you can share your screen. Awesome. Okay. Okay. So the first attachment that I sent is the Dr. Hoyt's favorite resources. These are a compilation of resources, specifically they're hyperlinks. So the nice thing about this is you're not getting like all these PDFs that are going to be outdated in a week. Right. Um, And I went through all of these today and they're all active and good. So regarding having some back to school, where do I answer these questions? These are really good resources for you. Um, I'll be very brief in this, but basically the top is the Cleveland Clinic back to school guidebook, which I participated in making that um, very much adapted for schools. Um, It's not super focused towards food allergy at all. It's, It's like a small section that mentions for kids who have chronic medical conditions to make sure they have a, a, a medical plan. Um, so not a whole lot there, but it does answer your basic questions. So do the rest of these, the under the CDC activities um, and masks, PDF, um, preschool specific help, um, and then symptom overlap. Down at the bottom, other good stuff. Um, the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. So this is where we can get a little bit more food allergy specific. And what I'm about to go over will be very food allergy specific. But um, this is actually a link to the article that I'm about to go through with you guys. And then, of course, we have down here the Codana training. And if you're not familiar with Codana, Codana is the nonprofit that I lead. You might hear my daughter. She's just so excited about Um, (laughs) It's the nonprofit that I lead. We equip schools to be prepared for medical emergencies, where we basically help schools take their fire drill, intruder alert, adapt them, tweak them, and use that as a medical emergency response plan. So your school's response plan is no longer, oh my gosh, someone's having anaphylaxis. Let's just call the nurse. It is, let's activate the medical emergency response plan protocol, which includes the nurse being the lead of a team that's responding. Sound familiar? It's, it's basically a code blue, except it's a code Anna, initially short for anaphylaxis, but really the, the external problem at schools is often we don't have epinephrine auto injectors or we have the epinephrine auto injectors and y'all know how to use them, but then what if you're not there? So that's kind of the external problem, which really highlights the internal problem, which is that the schools need help being prepared for a medical emergency. I mean, I think school nurses are like super nurses, all like how dedicated y'all are and how you're managing so much stuff. 
Um, but a medical emergency shouldn't rely just on one person, no matter how amazing they are. And that's why we teach to have a plan, have a team. And so you can go to codiana.org and do the medical emergency planning. We also have an epinephrine training. You guys don't need to do that because you already know how to give epinephrine auto injectors. Um, and also your schools don't need to take that because in the medical emergency training um, course that we have, we have a, a workshop where y'all can use our video, everything we have to then teach your schools, uh, your school personnel in like under 20 minutes, depending on how many school personnel you're trying to teach. Um, and then I started a podcast like the rest of the world. <laughs> it's called Food Allergy and Your Kiddo. Um, I just launched the 11th episode today. It's actually on um, evacuating with a kiddo with food allergy and certain things to consider. So this is a really cool one pager with lots of really good resources. The more COVID specific resources I put on here based on questions. So I, I, I got a lot of the questions from the Cleveland Clinic um, workshop or, or seminar that we did webinar. And this is where I found the answers to the questions. Because I know y'all are a lot like me and you like to hear it from somebody, but you also like to read it and then have a nice reference so that when your administrator is like, uh, are you sure about that? And you're like, yes, so says the CDC. And they're like, okay, so that's that. <laughs> Let's now go um, to the article that I put into the chat. And this was just written by um, allergists of the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. That is um, one of the two, if not the best, um, allergy society, academic allergy society, definitely in the U.S., potentially in the world. Um, but this is where, like, all the big studies are discussed um, this particular journal is called JACI, Journal of Allergy and Clinical Immunology in Practice. So this particular journal, Jackie, in practice, it's geared more towards the clinical stuff as opposed to the regular Journal of Allergy and Clinical Immunology, or just Jackie, um, is geared more towards some of that science stuff. So title of the article, Managing Food Allergy in Schools During the COVID-19 Pandemic. And this is written by some really good people, y'all. And really, I'm just going to kind of go through because I want to leave time for questions. And it goes through some specific recommendations. If you're a visual person, a color person, then I'll scroll down here to page five, where this highlights the big eight recommendations. And I'll just talk through them from right here because... That's so much prettier than just going through the article. But the first thing we want to definitely do, and this is stuff that a lot of a lot of us are already thinking about. We've already been thinking about it because we're, we're medical people. But okay. Oh, question, question. Yep. Um, now we're. Ju I'm just asking people to mute their lines. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Sorry about uh, that. Okay. So number one, we want to wash hands with soap and water. Because there really aren't studies that show that the alcohol is good enough to get rid of allergens. Is it good for flu, et cetera? Yes. But we, we really want to hand wash. Um, on top of that, and you guys probably know this, like when you're in the hospital and somebody has C. diff 
which is that bacterial um, diarrhea that can be pretty bad, you've always got to use soap and water. The, the, the antibacterial stuff doesn't cut it. I'm not saying we're dealing with that here because we're not, but it's just whenever we can wash our hands with soap and water for 20 seconds, that's what we want to do. And you can do some fun stuff, especially with the little kids, um, for how to scrub like a doctor. And you can always try to get a med student or a nurse, anybody to come in, you can dress up in scrubs and teach how to scrub like a nurse, how to scrub like a doctor and get the kids excited about it. I did that in a charter school in New Orleans um, in 2010 and the kids loved it. And then I heard from the charter school and they're like, Dr. Hoyt, actually I was Dr. Williamson and Dr. Williamson, um, our water bill, because the kids, they're washing their hands well. So... <laughs> Hey, you know, success, clean surfaces. So we want to use detergents, wear gloves, detergent, clean surfaces. And as always, don't share food. We all, we all know that we definitely want to enforce that. Um, where that can get tricky is how is the classroom set up? So if this classroom set up with like desk, 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 not all that challenging. But if the classroom is set up with like four desks in a square configuration, then it can become more challenging. That's also where it can become challenging for, um, and this, I guess this is more number seven, unique approaches may be necessary in some schools and classrooms. Um, but when we're dealing with younger kids who are grouped together, this can also be where kids who do have certain allergies, especially peanut allergy, tree nut allergies, Things that you can smell, that's not because smelling is going to cause anaphylaxis. Smelling will not cause anaphylaxis. But when a kid has had an allergic reaction, or anybody has had an allergic reaction, and they smell the allergen that triggered that reaction, it's it's almost like, I don't want to call it PTSD, but it almost is kind of like a, a PTSD. I mean, y'all know, you'll walk by some an, an, an older gentleman, you're like, oh, I remember my dad or my favorite uncle wore that wore that aftershave and you haven't smelled it in decades, right? Smells can really trigger um, memories. And the last thing we want is these kids trying to learn and, and they're smelling what it is that they're afraid they're going to have a reaction to. Um, so that's where, depending on how the classroom is set up, teachers might want to get a little creative with where kids sit. Adelaide degrees. Second, food allergy bands are not medically necessary. And this is up in the article. And it's basically saying that we don't see less episodes of anaphylaxis in peanut free schools. So since the evidence is not there, we don't make that recommendation. The recommendation we do make, um, because we do see if you have like a peanut free table, so one specific area where there's focus on the allergen, that's where we do see less episodes of anaphylaxis as measured by use of epinephrine. But what we teach with Code Anna is to actually flip that. And I learned this from a school to actually flip that. And instead of having a peanut free section, have a peanut section. And again, this might be a strategy that's more geared towards the younger kids, but the high school kids, like they, they tend to kind of sit where they, they want and kind of do what they want. And they're not going to accidentally like a kindergarten, try to play feed the baby and, and feed somebody peanut butter if they're allergic to it. Um, so our nut-free, peanut-free schools, we don't have evidence for that. 
Um, so, and it's nice that this article like really nicely spells that out. Um, number three, adapt 504 plans to work with new school restrictions. This also goes back to number two. If you have students who are doing 504 plans because they do have life-threatening food allergies, which actually any food allergy is potentially life-threatening, um, then you, you don't want to try to make giant school restrictions regarding like trying to make the school peanut free. That's, it's not evidence-based and chances are it's not going to fly. Hi there, this is Alexis from the Hoyt Institute of Food Allergy. Did you know that the Institute is the official sponsor of the Food Allergy and Your Kiddo podcast? And did you also know that you are now able to connect with Dr. Hoyt directly? That's right. We are now offering food allergy office hours for parents. These one-on-one virtual sessions are available for parents all across the country. It's an educational session, not an office visit, where you can ask all of your food allergy questions and finally get answers. It's as comfortable as having a cup of coffee with your bestie. Simply click the link in the show notes to schedule and mention this ad. We are so, so excited to connect with parents across the globe with this new service. Okay, now back to Pam and Dr. Hoyt. It's okay. Come here, baby. You want to participate? You want to participate? Yeah, okay. So, so Alice, Dr. Um, I'm not sure whether to call you Alice. Uh, you Alice. There's Adeline. Okay. We're all friends here. Yeah. So, um, so one of the questions um, is, so how do we? We're in a, we're in a uh, equity, um, a time of equity, and so um, if we have kids at a peanut table, should we have like a milk? Free table, a tree nut table, a sort. I mean, how, how does how do we implement that? That's a good uh, question, Tracy. What I recommend is, and this really gets down into the weeds, into a very granular level. But that's the point we're at now, right? Because if there's 20 kids in a classroom, then it's those 20 kids that we're dealing with. So, so let's address it based on those 20 kids. And so you'll 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 want the teachers to be very familiar. And this gets into like number five and kind of number seven, you want the teachers to be very familiar with recognizing anaphylaxis. And in order to be really familiar with that, you also want to know who those kids are that have, that have food allergy. So we always want that. And when we're thinking about making food specific areas, we think about what is, what's the, where, where, how old are the kids? Like where are they on, on development? If they're in high school, then, it, it, it doesn't matter, right? But if they're first grade, second grade, then you're going to think about, are they going to trade food? Um, you also want to think about how sticky, how much residual allergen can there be? Um, and make your arrangements based on that. The reason it's, it's easiest to lean into a peanut tree nut table is um, because for me as an allergist, I know that those are the stickiest allergens. Those are the ones that are going to hang out longer. Um, those, I don't want to say they're more severe because there are certainly people who have egg allergy who have died of anaphylaxis, milk allergy who have died of anaphylaxis. Um, 
But we also know that a lot of kids who are allergic to egg and milk are tolerant of the baked forms. And so this is where it's getting into, because we're in a unique time, we want to try to make the classroom as personalized to that class as possible. So, so that's the recommendation I would have. If any of y'all come into kind of like weird pickle situations where some nurse just, I mean, some teacher just gets all the kids in the school with food allergy and you're trying to play musical chairs because they're all in like first grade, reach out to me and I, I will help you as best I can with applying the evidence of what we have in this article and other articles to make the best situation. But for the most part, using those strategies that I mentioned of knowing who has what allergy um, and basing your, uh, your chart on, on their, their ages and the type of allergen that can be helpful in guiding that. A long winded answer. I'm sorry. Okay. Next stock epinephrine in all schools. I think all, all of y'all have stock epinephrine. Mm -hmm. Yes, we do. Um, and if you have any questions, if you need any help getting stock epinephrine, let me know. Um, I will do everything I possibly can to get you stock epi. If you do need people to be trained, Tracy, you and I should talk about this online because offline because we can, we can get them the training that they need, okay? And I, I just want to say, too, for those of you that don't know, um, last year we had a tremendous uh, difficult time getting the auto-injectable um, epinephrine. And, in fact, some schools were, it was so scarce because of a number of reasons um, with the housing of the epinephrine, um, those devices were impacted. Um, anyway, um, but we had a hard time. And, and um our speaker today went to the top. She went to the manufacturers of AveQ and she was in a lot of discussions with them and through a lot, through her efforts, um, have really brought help to bring increased awareness um, of that cost to schools uh, of the manufacturer. And we've actually been able to get um, AveQ for a much more reasonable price than we ever Good. before. So thank you very much. Good. It, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. I think y'all, if y'all haven't met me before, then in these last 20 minutes, you know that I'm pretty passionate about helping schools in these situations. Um, so stock epinephrine for all schools. I hear the question sometimes, well, if we have stock epinephrine, then kids won't bring their own devices. That is... We don't have any evidence to suggest that. We don't have any evidence to refute it, but my group is working on that because I, as an allergist, when I give medical advice, I always say that, that fellow patient, you need to have your own epinephrine auto injector. I don't ever want them relying on anybody else's device, including the schools. Do I want all schools to have it? Absolutely. Does it save lives? Yes, it does. Because 25% of reactions are first reactions and they happen at school. Y'all know this. I'm preaching to the choir. Number five, train all school personnel to recognize and treat anaphylaxis. Um, and this is this is super easy for you guys. Go to codeana.org and you don't even have to log into anything. You go to resources and you click play on the video. That is the exact video one of them, but that is that is the video, the, the beefy vid video that we use in our epinephrine training course, our certification course. 
Um, but if you don't have certification and if you guys just need to teach people, you can just go to that. That's the easiest, least friction way. Um, but if you really want to get your school prepared for medical emergencies, then I do encourage you to, when you go to codiana.org, click on prepare my school and it will bring you to the Codiana learning portal where you can take our Codiana school program at your own pace. You, it, it teaches you how to work with your school to create and implement a medical emergency response plan. Number six, zero. And that resource, um, the code Anna um, resources, you know, are free. This is a nonprofit um, situation. Um, And so those resources, if you click on the school health office at the Department of Education, um, that will be on our website under anaphylaxis and outside resources. so there's a, a link to the Code Anna um, uh, Teal Schoolhouse a site and also um, for the video that you can use for training. So I'm gonna put it, I'm gonna put it in the chat box right now. Awesome, awesome. Zero tolerance for, for bullying, number six. Um, even though you hear things like threw a piece of cheese on somebody and they died of anaphylaxis. If that's actually happened, it's unprecedented because that is not how anaphylaxis works. Um, That being said, there should be zero tolerance for bullying somebody, period, but especially based on a medical condition. Um, Number seven, approaches may be necessary in some schools and classrooms, and I think we talked about that with um, really just kind of being there for your teachers that are suddenly like they are more involved with watching kids eat than maybe before. And that includes kids who have food allergy. So just being there for them, open door, um, having these resources there and sharing them as well. Um, And anytime you come across challenging situations, um, every school is different. We're going to come across challenging situations. Then please don't hesitate to reach out to me. Um, and then number eight, communication is paramount to ensure success. Absolutely. Um, especially with food allergy. And this is why I do the, the podcast that I do it. Um, it's a strange disease and it's one of those diseases that I think a lot of people just kind of want to try to lock away in a closet and and not open that door because it's kind of scary, but the podcast I'm doing is demystifying it, but this type of information where you're having the premier um, allergy group or allergy society lay out information like this, and I'll um, scroll up to, this is a nice figure of shared responsibility to accommodate food allergic kiddos, what the students should do, how the allergist should play a role, what what role teachers should play and really just making sure they know how to recognize and respond to a medical emergency. But what I really, where I think y'all are going to like to see the most is this table where it says um, considerations regarding policies that ban specific foods from schools. Cause I think this is something that you guys, it, are y'all already hearing this of certain parents want schools to be in classrooms to be peanut free and tree nut free. Right. And like I said, we just, we don't have the evidence that I don't, I, I personally, I'm, I'm not surprised there's not evidence for it because I think it's a false sense of security. Um, on top of that, just like some children, you know, they're, they're allergic to peanut. There are some children that are relying on peanut butter for a reasonable 
um, for a reasonable lunch. You know, that it's, peanut butter is not, it's not super expensive. And so that's one way that, that some kids eat their lunch. Um, and then some kids who have texture issues, like that is what they want and that's all they want. So we have to think about all of the children, try to keep all of the children and young adults as safe as possible, comfortable as possible, and focused on learning. Um, so that's this article. That, um, the other, the references. And I don't, I don't know, do I have time for questions, Tracy? Are there other questions? Um, Sorry. Well, yeah. Um, there's a couple of things that I wanted to clarify. Um, we're, of course, with the nice weather, we're encouraging um, uh, kids to go outside um, and have their lunches outside. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're in a classroom, you know, for instance, I'll just take peanut butter. It's quite strong. And mm -hmm. so we talked about, you know, um, that sense, that memory. Um, but it's true just because it is, it does smell. And so would you uh, recommend... Um, uh, fan. No, we don't really want to use. How do you recommend that we deal with that strong smell in the classroom? Um, it depends on how the classroom's set up. The easiest thing to do is to try to keep the kids as far away as possible. Okay. So if you do have kids that, like, if the teacher knows that Johnny always brings peanut butter and Johnny happens to sit next to Latasha, who is allergic to peanut then let's specifically make those kiddos not sit next to each other. What we also want to remember in this is to not target kids inadvertently. And what I mean by inadvertent targeting is when we put up signs outside of classrooms and say, we cannot have any food in here because there is a food allergy. While people's hearts are in the right place with that, kids are going to be nasty sometimes when they're like, well, we can't have treats and Miss Spencer class because of because of um, Jamie and her whatever allergy and so we don't want to do that but when we're dealing with strong smells this is going to get to a case-by-case -case basis and that's why it's hard to make these kind of blanket policies but I think as long as we know it's going to be very case-by-case -case because we're eating in a classroom but we're with a set a set group of students so it's not going to change every day so within, I think just within a week or two, the teachers with your help, y'all, are going to be able to identify the best strategies for their specific kiddos in the classroom. Because there are also going to be kids whose parents have prepared them to be in a room with their allergen. And this is part of their sort of development as well. And this is something that the allergist should be going through with them, depending on their age, going transitioning care from the <laughs> pediatric care model to the adult care model um, and sort of where where is the child in that journey? Because even a 10-year-old might be like, yeah, I'm allergic to it, but whatever, I'm fine with it. But you might have a 14-year-old who's more, who's very nervous about it and we don't want that to interfere with their learning. Right. So what about um, if they're, so you've addressed that. So um, there's a question that says, is it okay to use a sign that says a nut-free classroom? If you are in a free classroom, you can. Um, it's in this time where there's going to be challenges is that there are going to be kids who are needing to bring that in for lunch. And so it's going to be up to your school to decide what your policies are. So what I like to do is I just like to present the evidence, present the data, but then it has to be adapted to your school culture, right? Um, 
So if you are a nut-free classroom, then you can certainly post that. Um, but what's, what it, and it depends also, again, on the age of the kids, but I just want us to be careful of, of making blanket spaces certain allergen-free because it's a slippery slope. And because like I said, there's, there's not a lot of evidence that that is gonna be helpful. The only evidence we have right now is that a specific table is helpful. I just love those school nurses. They ask phenomenal questions. They're so engaged. I mean, they really just want to keep their kids, their students as safe as possible. So working with school nurses to me is incredibly rewarding. Um, And I clearly am passionate about doing it, just like I'm passionate about providing education to you, my listeners. And I thought that that would be pretty neat for y'all to kind of be fly on the wall as to what I talk with other health professionals, specifically with school nurses, about. Um, And I hope it gives you insight into sort of what school nurses are thinking when you are bringing your kiddo to school and you're bringing your epinephrine auto-injector to school and you're asking these really important questions about stock epinephrine asking questions about 504 plans. So I hope that you enjoyed hearing that. I hope you also enjoyed hearing my daughter in part of that. Um, My daughter is absolutely amazing. And I'm a professional. So I mean, that that's my professional unbiased opinion. You can only imagine what my biased opinion is. Um, Being a mother is is an amazing gift from God. Um, I just, I feel so blessed and I I feel very blessed too that I was able to talk with those school nurses um, because again, they're fantastic. If you have questions about maybe what you should ask your school nurse or if you have questions about stock epinephrine, y'all, you know I want to hear from you. So go to my info blog, foodallergyandyourkiddo.com and send me your questions. You can also find out more information about Code Anna. That's the nonprofit program that I talked about in the episode that equips schools to be prepared for medical emergencies like anaphylaxis. And I just want to give a shout out to all of you amazing listeners who did send in donations. Code Anna is sending a very good amount of food, allergy-friendly food, down to DeRitter, Louisiana, to support those families who are dealing with food allergies after this awful hurricane that devastated that beautiful town. Um, So thank you to listeners. And if you still want to donate, then go to codeanna.org. And that information, again, will be in the info blog, foodallergyandyourkiddo.com. So that's this episode. And As always, I am an allergist, but I am not your allergist. So talk with your allergist about what you learned in today's episode. God bless you and God bless your family. Thanks for listening to this episode of Food Allergy and Your Kiddo with food allergist, Dr. Alice Hoyt. For more information on navigating the world of food allergy, visit www.foodallergyandyourkiddo.com. And follow Dr. Hoyt on Twitter at Dr. Alice Hoyt. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review. Let's take the anxiety and confusion out of food allergy. 